Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Batty in Washington. Today is Monday, August 29th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenya holds local elections today as do-overs from the August 9th presidential vote. The issue that arose in the first postponement was because of errors in the printing of the ballot papers, which the printers owned the errors. Al-Shabaab militants issue new threats against Kenya. The Liberian Senate passes a bill to remove all election magistrates. Angolans lay to rest their longtime president amid election controversy. An Ethiopian academic says international neglect means the Tigray conflict may only be resolved on the battlefield. How do you negotiate with people who change their positions every hour? Therefore, it makes it very difficult to end this conflict through a negotiated means. What remains is that one of the sides has to win. An ECOWAS mediator ends week-long consultative visit to Guinea. Those stories plus something O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Postponed general elections in eight elective areas will take place today, Monday. The vote was postponed following errors on ballot papers, among other issues. The polls were delayed twice, but later the electoral body, through internal meetings with the candidates, agreed on the proposed date today. Maureen Ojiambo reports from Nairobi. The Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, IABC, had set the by-election for August 23rd before postponing it last week, citing harassment and intimidation of its staff. IABC chairperson Ofula Chebukati says his team is ready for the exercise. The issue that arose in the first postponement was because of errors in the printing of the ballot papers, which the printers owned the errors. And they actually said they'll meet the cost of the uh, printing material. The second postponement was caused by factors which again were outside the commission's control. But we wish them well and we hope they'll have a peaceful election. Chebukati has, however, faced a lot of hurdles as some politicians allied to the Azimiola Umoja One Kenya coalition claims he is not fit to hold the elections. Coalition leader Ailodinga is on record saying he prefers IEBC Vice Chairperson Juliana Cherera to oversee the vote. He says Chebukati did not hold credible elections on the just concluded August 9th polls. Chebukati should disqualify himself from presiding over the elections in Kakamega and Mombasa. In his defense, the electoral body chairperson responding to Raila Odinga's petition at the Supreme Court listed several top national government officials who he says were forcing him to moderate the presidential results in Odinga's favor or alternatively have a run of poll, supposedly in the national security interest. Chebukati said his deputy Juliana Cherera and commissioners Francis Wanderi, Irene Masit, and Justice Nyangaya were colluding with forces to alter the presidential results. Rafael Tuju is the executive of the Azmiola Umoja One Kenya Coalition. In his response to Chebukate, he admits that he visited Chebukate but refused claims that he tried to bribe him. He commented on some allegations involving the handling of Forms 34A, which is used to document presidential results from the polling stations to the National Tallying Center in Nairobi. The forms include the number of registered voters at each polling station, the tally of votes counted, 
and those that were not valid. I received intelligence from one of the IBC officials who complained that some Form 34A were being brought down and they were being replaced by other Form 34A. Mr. Chibukati is not a stranger to me. He has made claims of what I said when 10 of us were in that room. All the commissioners were in that room. For him to claim that I made some offers to him in front of those 10 is a tattle, petty lie. Tuju has threatened to release more evidence that some IEBS officials met him privately at his home. On the other hand, President-elect William Ruto has asked his opponent to stop intimidating the electoral body and the judiciary. We are confident that blackmail, bribery, intimidation will not sway our courts. Our courts have demonstrated their independence in the past. As the elections go on today, the Supreme Court is set to make a ruling next week on the presidential elections petition challenging Ruto's win. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Nairobi, Kenya. Somali-based Islamist militant group Al-Shabaab has issued a new threat against neighboring Kenya. The group, an affiliate of Al-Qaeda, says it will continue its attacks in the country as long as Kenyan troops are in Somalia. Mohamed Dyasuna reports from Mogadishu. Al-Shabaab said in an English-language statement Saturday it will continue to target Kenyan towns and cities until Kenyan troops are out of Somalia, it said that if the Kenyan government continues to maintain its invasion of Muslim lands, it will continue to strike inside Kenya. Know that we will continue to defend our lands and our people from the aggressive Kenyan invasion. We will continue to concentrate our attacks on Kenyan towns and cities as long as Kenyan forces continue to occupy our Muslim lands, the group said Omar Mahmoud. An international crisis group senior analyst for Eastern Africa discussed the situation with VOA via WhatsApp. Generally, Al-Shabaab remains a threat to Kenya, both from infiltration across the border and terrorist attacks in other parts of the country. So they will continue trying to target Kenya if they don't get what they want, which at this is, is at the core, the end of Kenya's military operation in Somalia. Mohamed Hussein Gaz, director of the Rad Beast Research Institute based in Mogadishu, told VOA by phone that Al-Shabaab threats are real. As they have seen, the organization become stronger financially in the last few years, despite the presence of African Union forces in Somalia. That development is covered with the Increased insecurity as of late due to the ongoing civil war in Ethiopia and the underlying political and social polarization will likely exacerbate the insecurity of the region as a whole. He said the group might have also become more oriented toward outward expansion as signaled by the recent attack on Ethiopia's Somali state. Al-Shabaab has been fighting Somali government and AU peacekeeping operations in the country more than 15 years. Mohamed Daisane, VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. An Ethiopian-born academic says it will be difficult to try to negotiate a peaceful end to the seven-month-long conflict between the Ethiopian government and the Tigray People's Liberation from the TPLF.
Ezekiel Gabesa is a professor of history and African studies at Kettering University in the state of Michigan. He says right now there is no commitment by the international community, the African Union, or the Ethiopian government to resolve the conflict peacefully. Gabesa says that this international neglect means that the war is likely to continue until it is settled on the battlefield. This comes as fighting between the two sides restarted last week. Ethiopia has accused the TPLF of breaking the ceasefire, but Gebessa tells me that Ethiopian forces first broke the truce by attacking TPLF positions in southwestern Tigray a week ago. The latest is that the peace negotiations has broken down. The humanitarian truce, which the Ethiopian government unilaterally declared, has now been violated, so the war has resumed. Now, from what I understand, it is the Ethiopian government that actually started to break the truce because the report is that, like, about a week ago, they, they bombarded TDF positions in southwestern Tigray in a place called Dedebit. Professor, I thought the Ethiopian government had accused the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front of being responsible for this latest fighting. That's what the Ethiopian government says, but like I was saying about a week ago, the Tigrayan said that their positions were shelled using artillery in a place called Dedebit, and they also used tanks to attack TDF or Tigrayan Defense Forces position. The Ethiopian government simply did not deny that they fired. They did not confirm that they fired. They were quiet about it. So I don't think the Ethiopian government's position is credible. Professor, we've been hearing about ethnic cleansing and the situation in Ethiopia has also drawn international attention recently. Even the director general of the WHO made a comment, I think, last Friday. But what do you make of international attention, particularly African Union? The position that the WHO director general, from that position, he had been repeatedly saying that sufficient attention has not been paid to the conflict in Tigray. Even though before the Ukraine war, the Tigray conflict was one of the largest conflicts in the world, the attention that it deserves has not been given, and the director general is probably suspecting that racism played a role in that area. Maybe he's right, maybe he's not right. I don't know what the reason is, but international attention has not been to the level expected to end the conflict and to bring about peace in that area and restore normalcy in the Horn of Africa region because this is an important part of uh, commerce. What do you see as the pathway or the prospect for peace? I mean, this is very difficult to say. Let's say that the Ethiopian government wants peace. The position of the Ethiopian government is that they're going to separate the TPLF from the Tigrayan people and annihilate it. And when you target a group of people because of their political belief for annihilation, and this is not my characterization of it, it's the prime minister himself that calls them weed, cancer, and therefore they should be uprooted. Now, once they have ensconced themselves into that position, it's very difficult for anyone to believe that the European government would actually want resolution of the conflict through peaceful negotiations. What we see is that the Ethiopian government does not maintain a position on any issue consistently. How do you negotiate with people who change their positions every hour? Therefore, it makes it very difficult to end this conflict through a negotiated means. What remains is that one of the sides has to win. 
or achieve some kind of preponderance of force. If that comes, then one has to give in and come to the negotiating table. Ezekiel Gebesa is an Ethiopian-born professor of history and African studies at Kettering University in the U.S. state of Michigan. He was speaking with us from Flint, Michigan. Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, August 29th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. Angolans on Sunday laid to rest their longtime president, Eduardo dos Santos, who died on July 8th this year at the age of 79. He ruled Angola for 38 years. His funeral took place days after the country's August 24 parliamentary and presidential vote. Preliminary results released by the Electoral Commission show the ruling Popular Movement for the Liberation of Angola, MPLA, led by President Joao Lourenço, with 51.7% of 97% of ballots counter. The main opposition National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, led by Adalberto Costa Jr., was second with 44.5% of the votes. Some have criticized the government for scheduling the funeral days after the elections. Florindo Chivukute is the executive director of Friends of Angola. He tells me the funeral was well attended, including several African leaders. The funeral for the former Angolan president, José Eduardo Santos, went well, was attended by several heads of state, mainly from Africa. And one of the things that really highlighted this moment was that UNITA's president, Mr. Adalberto Cosa Jr., he also attended the funeral. So I would say for the most part, it went very well. Can you give us a few names in terms of who attended the funeral? Well, several heads of states attended the funeral, including the Zimbabwean president, uh, the former Namibian president, Sam Joma, the South African president, Sir Ramaphosa, as well as the Portuguese president, Marcelo Rebelo de Sousa. The funeral took place on the heel of this August 24 election, which results have been criticized by the opposition UNITA. What's next for UNITA? What are they going to do after the results? UNITA has issued a statement and, and also they hold a press conference in regard to the vote counting uh, by the National Electoral Commission. Basically, they disputed the results published by the National Electoral Commission. And so UNITA's president, Adalberto Costa Jr., he also challenged the National Electoral Commission to have a recount but with observers from all over the world to mediate this issue. One thing within the Angolan law that they probably will do, they have to submit a complaint on CNN, the Electoral Commission. So then if the CNN doesn't provide an sort of result to UNITA, then they have to go to the Constitutional Court. The issue is that both the National Left Commission and the Constitutional Court are controlled by the MPLA, the ruling party. Back to the funeral of the late president. We know that uh, Dos Santos ruled the country for decades. How are the people of Angola remembering him? 
So uh, the question about how um, Angolans remember the Santos really depends who you ask. I mean, uh, there were individuals perhaps who would say that the Santos played an important role uh, to bring peace to Angola after almost three decades of civil war, uh, which ended in 2009. And then there are also other people who would say that, no, he actually used his power to loot the, the country. He embezzled millions of dollars and his cronies and left many Angolans under extreme poverty in a country that has only 30 or 32 million people with extreme wealth that wasn't able to provide even the basic needs for Angolans, including the youth. Florindo Chivukute is the executive director of Friends of Angola. You are speaking with us from the Angolan capital, Luanda. In Liberia, the Senate has passed a bill to amend the country's elections law. If the House of Representatives agrees, the new law will require that all election magistrates be removed 90 days after the passage of the bill. The Senate's action has met resistance from ordinary citizens, civil society, and members of the opposition. Rita Globeduo has details from Monrovia. Section 2.24A of the amended law states, quote, 90 days after the passage of this act, all elections magistrates within the 15 counties must be removed and positions considered vacant. This section also gives the right to the magistrates to reapply. The elections magistrate represents the National Elections Commission or NEC at the county level. He or she conducts all election-related activities and reports to the NEC. The Senate's amendment requesting all magistrates to resign and reapply has caught the attention of other stakeholders in the country. Cornelia Kratokba is Opposition Unity Party's National Vice Chair for Inter-Party Relations. She says she believes that the magistrates might be replaced with members of the ruling Coalition for Democratic Change, or CDC, which is seeking a second term. We have elections next year, and an attempt to do this will mean that our processes will be easily manipulated. You will have instances where only seditions will be put into those areas as magistrates. We believe that this is wrong, and we are calling on the lower house to not concur with this bill. And political parties, we've started to have conversations around this to ensure that we have a united voice on what our position will be. Civil society members have also been taken aback by the Senate's decision. One such person is Anderson Mehrman, executive director of the Center for Transparency and Accountability in Liberia, or Sintal. Mehrman says the action of the Senate is becoming a familiar pattern. This is not a good trend. We saw it with the Anti-Corruption Commission. Now it is the National Elections Commission, especially the magistrates. This is a recipe for conflict, especially so that there isn't any justifiable reason or reasons for these actions. The decision has the ability to undermine stakeholders' confidence in the ability of the National Elections Commission to conduct credible and transparent elections as we move towards 2023. Not only members of the opposition political parties and civil society have rejected the Senate's proposal. Deputy House Speaker Jonathan Fonanti Kofa, who is also a member of the ruling party, says he will vote against the bill. I don't think it's the business of the legislature 
to engineer administrative matters. I think that's squarely within the purview of the National Elections Commission. I, for one, will be opposing any such amendment if it comes to the House. At the same time, the elections magistrates have vowed to sue the government if the Senate's measure becomes law. The magistrates argue that the amendment violates their civil service status. This is Rita Drabwedu for VOA News in Morovia, Liberia. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with some golf news, where South African Tristan Lawrence won the European Masters on Sunday when he took the title on the first extra hole of the playoff after a closing round of one under par 69. He's the first South African to win it since Ernie Els took the title in 2003, and he joins the likes of Jeff Hawks, Hu Baochi, Dale Hayes, Harold Henning, and Bobby Luck to win at Kranzer Syria Golf Club in Kranz Montana in Switzerland. The 25-year-old Lawrence earned his second title on the European Tour this season and a price of $332,000 to add to the opening Joburg Open in his native South Africa last November. Now I'm pleased, obviously, um, being in that position, you know, you're around the leader, um, shooting a score on the ball is always nice, so... Happy with the way I played, um, played very solid, made a few clutch putts here and there, and yeah, I was just overall pleased. I think golf itself is like playing chess, you know, every golf course is different, you have to plot yourself uh, around it. Um, but yeah, I've got a good mindset for this golf course, playing quite aggressive, and um, yeah, going forward, just doing the same thing. In football news, Ghana's Black Galaxies shot into the driving seat in their seventh African Nations Championship final qualifying fixture against Nigeria after a 2-0 win over the Super Eagles Team B at the Cape Coast Sports Stadium on Sunday evening. The result leaves the Super Eagles Team B with some work to do ahead of the return leg as both teams square off again at the MKO Abiola Stadium in Abuja on Saturday evening. And in women's football, Tanzania Women's Premier League champions Simba Queens FC will represent the Sakafat Zone at the CAF Women's Champions League 2022 in Morocco later this year. Simba Queens FC booked the slot after a hard-fought 1-0 win against She Corporate FC of Uganda in the final of the Zona Qualifier played on Saturday at the Azam Complex in Tanzania. In rugby news, world champions South Africa Springboks produced possibly their worst attacking performance under coach Jack Niamba as they slumped to a 25-17 loss at the hands of Australia's Wallabies in their rugby championship test in Adelaide on Saturday. While the box dominated both possession and territory to the tune of close to 60%, they never used the chances they had and allowed a poor Australian side to score when they had the opportunity. Springbok captain Sia Kulisi reacts to the laws against the Wallabies. Um, they, they played really well today, you know, from the get-go. And the, the game is about small margins, you know. Every opportunity they got, they took it and they backed themselves. And today, you know, it didn't go our way in that department. And finally, the 2022 Afghan Handball Confederation Africa Men's Youth Championship will be hosted by Kigali starting on Tuesday the 30th of August. It is the first African Continental Championship to be played in this age category in four years. The previous edition set for 2020 in Casablanca, Morocco was cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's it for Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington.
Thank you, Samson. Have a very good day. And that's it for this Monday, August 29th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for starting your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Barty in Washington, wishing that you will have a wonderful week. Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash Sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on the Voice of America. Hello, I'm Douglas Simpoga, host of VOA's Reporters Roundtable. Join us every Thursday as we discuss important African topics and events. I'll have a panel of African journalists and expert guests to discuss the topic at hand. We take a deeper look at important African news topics. That's Reporters Roundtable every Thursday at 17.30 UTC, right here on VOA Africa. Mm-hmm.